You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I think we were the first team, Grant, to... to to lock reporters out, and now it's common practice, to keep the reporter and media out of practices and to the point where they would take newspapers. We were playing at Oakland University, and they would they would cover the little slat windows that looked into the gym because there was probably, I'll bet we had four or five fights throughout the year in practice, and Chuck didn't want that discussed and talked about in newspapers. Today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. And folks, no matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, trust me, they've got a fix for you. I have loved the emails I have received over the last few months thanking me for talking about New Works Plumbing on my podcast, complimenting their service. Love seeing those type of responses. Keep it up. Good job right there. I love talking about New Works Plumbing. And remember that their expert technicians are available to you 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast is pretty much uh, the guy that you want to talk to if you want to know what's going on in the world of sports in the city of Denver. Not only was he a longtime NBA player over a decade and has been doing the Denver Nuggets on TV for years, but he also was the color analyst for the Denver Broncos for nine years. He's got a radio show in Denver. He's always been one of my favorite guys to have on the radio when I was doing the show back in Sacramento. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show, Scott Hastings. Scott, how are you? Grant, I'm doing wonderful, and I, I thank you for the invite to come out and visit sometime. Well, I really appreciate it, man. I got to tell you, uh, Joe Klein was on my podcast about two months ago, and we talked a lot about Eddie Sutton. You went to college at Arkansas. What impact did he have on your life? He, he was a father figure, to be honest with you. He was the first coach I ever saw, and, and you know, I came from high school and I had, a, I had a really good high school coach too so I'm not putting him down but the first guy I ever saw that commanded a huddle and and could instill confidence in in the minds of, of a handful of kids and just just change the mood you know get fear out and all that different stuff and then you know he became as I said a father figure you know listen when you're when you're in college you're screwing up all the time but He's one of those guys you you just didn't ever want to disappoint, and he was amazing. Came to my wedding, you know. He, he would call and check in when I would go back, you know, through the years. He'd always sit down with you and then go over go over things with you. He just he was just a great man. Uh, I, I was fortunate to to play with him. I, I'm sorry that that the basketball Hall of Fame people waited as long as they did to get him in because I sure wish. He could have been able to walk up on that stage and receive that honor. You grew up in Kansas. Did you ever have aspirations and dreams of playing for the Jayhawks? And what made you go to Arkansas? My my whole life, I grew up a Kansas Jayhawk fan, and always wanted to go there. And and even even going into my senior year, you know, was hoping to be able to be a, a Kansas Jayhawk. 
it's interesting. The guy that coached basketball against me in high school my junior year, and I played tennis also, and he was also the head tennis coach at, at Pittsburgh High School, told me at a, pit, at a tennis tournament in the spring, he said, hey, I'm going to go to Arkansas. Uh, I'm going to be an assistant coach on their staff. I'm going to tell them about you. And I say, I appreciate it. You know, I'd seen Arkansas. Uh, yeah, I'd heard of Arkansas. I think that was the year they'd lost to, to Cornbread Maxwell in that great NCAA game, and Maxwell just went absolutely crazy. So going to my senior year, and back then you had timelines when you could get letters and, re- and be recruited and stuff. And sure enough, the first day of, that you could start getting calls and letters, I, I my first contact was with the University of Arkansas. So I watched them that year and became fans. It was the, the great Sports Illustrated cover season where uh, City Moncrief's dunking on the University of Texas and it says high on the hogs. Uh, they end up going all the way to the Final Four. Uh, that was the year that Arkansas beat OU in the Orange Bowl and, and just blew them out. Rolling sales, rushed for 200 yards. All these positive things were kind of floating around Arkansas, but still held out to Kansas, and Kansas would call and do their letters. But I was on, I don't know, if a, a call or something, and I can't remember the guy's name now, but it was a guy that was Darnell Valentine's. Uh, high school coach and they brought him up to Kansas to make sure Darnell was going to go there. He says, you know, Scott, we got four scholarships this year and we're recruiting this guy from California and this guy from New York and this guy. He said, we got four scholarships right now. You're our fifth choice. So if one of these guys turn us down, we'd love to have you. Hmm. Well, and I'm like, you know, and I, you know, I, that's probably the first time in sports I had my feelings hurt. Because I went on, we won the state championship. I was the MVP of the state tournament. I was the Kansas State Player of the Year. I was all state with all the newspapers and all that stuff. And here's the school that I, you know, probably would have crawled to. <laughs> right. uh, tell me I'm their fifth or fourth choice. The, the good news to the story, the day I, I was signing my letter of intent, they called and wanted me to come up for my official visit because they wanted to sign me. And my father-in-law at the time, who was a two-sport letterman, he, went my, he was soon to be my father-in-law who was a two-sport letterman and actually played for Fog Allen at Kansas. They called him and said, hey, we want to get Scott up here and offer him. He said, well, you got about 10 minutes because Eddie Sutton's in town. The, the, the ending of the story goes, my rookie year, or rookie my freshman year, our first NCAA tournament game, we play Weaver State in Allen Fieldhouse. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and I was a freshman, and I was starting for Arkansas, who had been in the Final Four the year before, got to the Sweet 16, and uh, or actually the Elite Eight that year. Um, but after that game, I was I was one of three guys in double figures for Arkansas, so they pulled me up on one of those podiums and asked me questions and all that stuff. And, you know, somebody did ask, why not Kansas? So I didn't do as rambling as you, I just said. <laughs> I, I just said, you know, my dream my whole life was to come to Kansas and play in this building, and it's just an honor to be able to get here and finally get a chance wow. to do that. Boy, you should have seen the local newspapers <laughs> the, next, the next day and, and the heat. And, and you remember you remember Bob Hill, right? Sure, of course. Yes, guy? yes. I, I, was running, I was in L.A., and he pulls up and stops, and I go, hey, or Dallas, actually. He goes, hey, just what are you doing? We start talking. He goes, you know, I still get crap. I, I was the guy they started making noise about you, so I came and saw you. And Lafayette Norwood was the coach. Mm. Lafayette had come back and said, you can't play. I came back from the state tournament and said, we got to sign this guy. So that's more of the story and where it all goes. Phenomenal story. Uh, you started your NBA career in New York, and then you are on the Detroit Pistons, Scott, in 1990. You win a championship. I say Chuck Daly. You say what? Greatest coach I ever played for in, in the pros by far. A funny guy that unless you really knew him, you didn't realize how funny he was. I would call him a friend and probably gave me one of the greatest compliments in my life as a pro because I was, I became a journeyman and, you know, just trying to hang in. And you, you remember that era, Grant, that was, you know, set hard screens and don't let anybody get layups. Sure. And, and he, he, he was just amazing. I still use stuff as a broadcaster today of things he said, and things Eddie Sutton said too, to be honest with you. He, he was, a, he was an amazing man. He was, 
I'll tell you two quick stories on him you'll like because you remember how he dressed, right? He, sure. He was he was always competing for with Pat Riley for <laughs> and back then the media gave out the best dressed uh, yes. best dressed coach. That's right? right. Remember that? Yes. Yes. And, and, and he was always competing with Pat. And he came out one day, and I'm standing by him and waiting for the game to start. And he looked at me, and he's got this suit. He says, see this? I go, yeah. He said, Versace. I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, but it's not the suit. And he pulls his thing. He's got a you know, gold watch on one arm, a little gold <laughs> ring on a finger. He's got a, a gold chain. He goes, it's the accessories that make it the outfit. <laughs> How about that? How about that? That's one. Yep. Two, I was in charge one time. He slipped on new new leather shoes. He forgot to scuff up. Slipped on the floor during a game. Ripped his pants from belt to, to zipper. <laughs> and, and I had one of the assistant coaches. You, you remember Brendan Sir. Mm-hmm. So he, he, Brendan comes to me and goes, hey, Chuck ripped his pants. So every time out, take your towel and put it behind him so, so the cameras don't get a shot. So <laughs> – I had a job one entire game to hold it. And you can see it. I've never somebody showed me a picture of a game. And for some reason, it was that game. And I'm standing there and I got this towel held out, long white towel held out, <laughs> you know, down to the floor and up, right behind the time. He goes, What are you doing with that towel? And I had to tell that story. Oh, that's beautiful. La- last story I tell you, yeah. Chuck. We go to Miami and we have a day off. And the Pistons took care of me, man. I mean, we played Miami on Tuesday, we went on Sunday. And I had met, because I played the Miami Heat, I had met Ray Floyd. So I gave Ray a call and, and I said, hey, Chuck, would love to play golf and blah, blah, blah. And so Ray had us out to his golf course at a really exclusive golf course there in Miami. And we're sitting up on the first tee, about ready to tee off. And, and Chuck's got, I mean, and, and you, you know golf, Grant. You've done all those tournaments, you've played mm-hmm. and all that. He's got maybe one of the nicest golf shirts I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and he comes in and goes, Scott, come here. And it's me, Scott, Ray Floyd, and I don't even know who else we had with him. Right. And he goes, feel this. And so I'm feeling his sleeve, and he goes, silk. That's beautiful. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny when you talked about that award for best dressed because we all used to kid Jerry Reynolds that not only would he not win best dressed, but he would be voted as the worst. It was him and Doug Moe were the two worst dressed coaches. Right. right? (laughs) That is funny. That brings back great memories. You know, that year, the Pistons were defending their championship. And the series, I believe it was the Eastern Conference Finals, if I'm not mistaken, the Bulls, and that went seven games. Leading up to that game seven, what do you remember the most? How contentious, how physical, how neither team could could win on the other's floor. I mean, and it was like that kind of during the season. They, I think it was that year they may have blown us out on Christmas but, but half the team, and I mean half the team, the guys that played, decided they weren't going to fly in on Christmas Eve and they were going to spend Christmas with their family. As before, the, you know, before the 27 games on Christmas Day thing took off. But it was, it, it was hard. It was contentious. It was physical. And I remember going into that Game 7, and it was actually my 30th birthday was, was Game 7. It was June 3rd, 1990. And, man, that – Hey, I've been around a lot of exciting places, and, and including the finals, both in, in Detroit and Portland. There, there wasn't as much emotion as there was in that Game 7 at the Palace in Auburn Hills. It was, dude, it was just, it was, it was, it was war, the closest thing to war in a basketball game, hmm. right? What was it like for you as a member of that team Last year, watching the last dance, and there was so much about the rivalry of the Bulls and the Pistons. That that had to be pretty interesting from your perspective. It, it was, and I give I give Michael credit for this because you know ESPN did a, a thirty for thirty called the Bad Boys, and he actually, I believe, appeared on it where guys like Magic and Larry Bird refused to. So it was interesting to watch from their point of view of what they had to do and how they had to, you know, get bigger and stronger and, and you know, all, all that all that different stuff, which I think they did. I think, you know, Detroit 
when you look at the two-year run they wanted, you forget about the two years previous or three years previous, you know, losing in the finals, losing twice in the Eastern Conference. So they, you know, that bad boy team, and, and then when Chicago beat them, it was in the Eastern Conference finals also, you know, had a, had a hell of a six-year run. And you know, Grant, in the NBA, you get, you get six years of where you're, you know, you're competing for Eastern or Western Conference championships and NBA championships. That, that's a hell of a team. Now, I don't think they'll ever get the credit due because of how 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 they did it. I mean, they 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 took it to the limit. You know, they they played physical. They played rough. I got to play against them for a number of years, so you know, I love those games because that means I was going to get a lot of minutes, whether I was with Atlanta or Miami. But they hey, they push they push to the limit. But saying that. And you know this, Isaiah Thomas, like him or not, was a hell of a player. Oh yes, he was. Joe Dumar, Joe Dumars, like him or not, was a hell of a player. No Dennis doubt. Rodman, Bill Lambeer, uh, Mark Aguirre, John Sally, James Edwards. I mean, just right down the list. I mean, these guys were great players. We had we had the year that year we won it ninety. Here was our bench. We we had we had a rookie. Lance Blank, who's I think in a front office in the NBA now, or was, or has been for a while, was our 12th guy. And then you had uh, David Greenwood, year 11. You had Gerald Henderson, year 12. And you had me, which was year 8. And that's back when, when you wanted guys on the bench to have experience. You wanted guys in that, that two-week window where Isaiah had a twisted ankle Gerald Henderson, who had won a, an NBA championship with Boston, you knew you could throw in there and trust him for two weeks. Nowadays, you know, they you can't do that. It's all young guys, and, and it's very rarely do you see a team lose a star player for two or three weeks that it just doesn't go down the toilet. So that that was the fun thing about that is, you know, you had the eight guys that played a lot, then you had, you know, three guys that, that were veteran, experienced NBA guys. So it was it was a fun year to be honest with you, Scott. What was it like practicing against Bill Lambeer and Dennis Rodman every day? Hard. Uh, it, it makes everything seem simple. I think we were the first team, Grant, to 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 lock reporters out, and, and now it's common practice, right? Sure. But to keep to keep the reporter and media out of practices, and to the point where they would take newspapers. We were playing at Oakland University. And they would they would cover the little slat windows that looked into the gym because there was probably I'll bet we had four or five fights throughout the year in practice, and and Chuck didn't want that ever you know didn't want that discussed and talked about in newspapers. So one year I think David Greenwood and I had a bet, and I don't remember if it was a standing bet ever practice, but I know we had one for at least one practice that whoever could. F Lamb beer up the most. The other guy had to buy lunch. So that answers that answers how the practices were. And, yeah. that, and we did a. Hey, that's the least amount I practiced in in my eleven years in the NBA was that year because everybody's veterans. But when we did practice, I mean, it was it was it was Chicago versus Detroit. I mean, it was hard, physical. I mean, I I bet you I saw. At least a dozen fights, you know, <laughs> between teammates. And then you go out and have a beer with the guy or have fun, and and it was things cool. But man, it, it was, it was a team loaded with alpha dogs, led by Isaiah. I mean, he he was still the ultimate, but there wasn't there wasn't many other guys that wasn't going to challenge him back back. I mean, I I've seen guys get on. Lamb get on Isaiah, Isaiah get on Joe, Joe get on Dennis, Dennis get on Seth. I mean, hey, that was the ultimate peer pressure in a real positive manner. You ended your NBA career in Denver. Were you thinking of life after basketball? Were you thinking of broadcasting? And what was your big break to get into that market and start your broadcasting career? Well. I always wanted to coach, and I thought I was I was going to be a coach. 
And now having been around the NBA for 39 years, I still want to be a coach. I mean, I still think if somebody would, would, would take a chance, I'd be pretty good. I coached high school basketball. I coached AAU basketball to try to scratch that itch for a while. So I thought I was going to be a coach. And I got offered to play. And, and you know, you sit back in hindsight and, Maybe, I mean, I could have played Grant another two or three years. I, my body was fine. I was healthy. But I just – I didn't want to play, move a family and, you know, play one year here and maybe one year here and and, and all that. Cleveland offered me early on the, the Nuggets, Tim Lywicki, the president, said, hey, we're going to start a radio station and do, do, do. We'd like to do – you can do TV and do color. And I'm thinking, well, this way I can stay close to the team. And when a coaching position opens up, maybe maybe someone will pull me in. Uh, Cleveland offered me to come, as, as Mike Patel told me, I need somebody to beat up on Doherty in practice and, and make him tougher. And I didn't, but Tim Kempton did. And the, the funny thing, they were going to put a big minutes clause in my boat, in my contract if I played X number of minutes, which, you know, at the time, Brad Doherty was so good. There was no way I was going to ever get that minute clause. And then he gets hurt in game one or two, tears his ACL or Achilles, remember that? And, sure. And, and Kempton ended up getting that big bonus. And I always always got to go out and dinner with him so he can buy. But, um, and then Orlando called at, at Christmas time, and I'm like thinking, damn, I lived in Detroit, didn't really want to go back and live in Cleveland. If Orlando would have called in the summer, I probably would have gone to Orlando mm-hmm. right away. But I was, just, I was tired of moving. Tim Lewicki offered an opportunity. Uh, there was a tryout at a radio station. A guy came in and said, hey, why don't you come in? We're thinking about doing this. And so I, I did that. And, you know, I did sidelines at home games and, and television color on the road. Got to work with Al Albert and some of those those old names that you remember, Drew Goodman. And sure. Been here kind of ever since, you know, just hanging out. Worked for TNT for a while, ESPN and all that. But, you know, when, when you got a family and, and everything else, it was nice to be set. Uh, if you're going to start over, you kind of, you know, starting over, you don't have to go move or all that stuff. But, yeah, I always think about it. I, w- I wish now that – and I've had opportunities to coach and, you know, turn them down, stuff like that. In fact, one time I took a job. Let's put it this way. In, in a place that, that has different uh, dollars than we do. And I said, yes, I'm in. <laughs> and they said it was – I think the, they offered me $140,000. I said – yeah, and I was at the time making a little more, but I go, I, you know what I'm in, and right am I hanging up? They go, oh, by the way, you do know that's in Canadian dollars. <laughs> oh my god! Oh <laughs> and, my god! And at the time, that was when it, right, you know, right. US dollar was two for one. I'm like thinking, well, man, I, I could, I could do it for one forty, but seventy. No. Ugh. So <laughs> that, that was one. And then the guy they hired. I, I people should get the job that I go after. Whoever does, the guy they hired, they end up firing the coach. He became the head coach. Won a couple of games. They gave him a new three year deal. Butch Carter. Wow. And, and, and then he was out of the league. How I about think, that? Dang, I could have. I could have had that gig. That's pretty amazing. That <laughs> really is. I'll tell you what else is amazing when I look back at your career, because really it's centered around basketball, but in that market. The Denver Broncos are talked about 365 days a year. They are king in Denver. And you ended up doing the Denver Broncos on radio for nine years. How did that happen? Well, the same type of thing. I'm doing a radio show with Dave Logan, who Dave was the color guy for the Broncos on radio, played nine years in the NFL, part of the Cardiac Kids with the Cleveland Browns. And he was doing color. Well, the play-by-play guy, who was also doing play-by-play with CU and the Broncos, Larry Zimmer. And it was just, he was getting a little older, but it was just tough to kind of do both and always flying and, you know, and all that stuff. So he was going to retire. And his last year doing Broncos, he did the home games. Is that right? Yeah, the home games. And they let Dave do the play-by-play on the road. And so they had nine games. They tried, tried out different color guys. Well, I said, hey, I want to throw my name in the hat. And I actually got to do a couple games that year. One was in Seattle in the Dome, which was awesome because it was the greatest broadcast booth ever. It was about the size of a small condo. <laughs> right. You, you actually had a place to hang your coats and stuff. But 
so yeah, they just they let me try out. They tried out two or three other ex NFL players, and you know, a I I was fortunate because I had chemistry with Dave because we'd already done, and you you know when when you do a radio show with somebody and you have a partner, it becomes a there's a synergy, and you understand when when one guy's jabbing and one guy's you know moving here, and you and, and there's it's easy to flow with the guy because you've got chemistry, right? And and so our broadcast, to be honest with you, were better than the, the three or four or five guys that were ex-players that tried it out. And so they offered me. I'm pro- sure I was probably cheaper than it would have been had they hired, you know, somebody else. And so they gave me the gig. And I was also fortunate. I'll be real honest with you. I was fortunate for two things. One, I had become friends with John Elway when I played with the Nuggets, and, and he was still playing. And so – you know, I could go in and ask him anything off the record or whatever. And so I always had great information. Steve Atwater and I became really good friends. And he had played football in Arkansas right, right. you know, as he was leaving as I was getting there. And so, you know, we had that hog connection, if you will. And, man, he, he explained to me more about defenses. One, one game he was hurt, didn't play the preseason game. And his knowledge was just, I mean, would blow you away. So I learned from then became fast friends with Mark Schlereth and, and guys along the the, the the offensive line, Brian and B, Rod Smith and I, and Shannon Sharp and I became pretty good friends. So I had all these guys that, you know, even though I was dummy, I think they respected me because I, I played pro sports. So, And I've always said this, all sports are the same. The X's and O's change. But all sports the same. Everything that an NFL player goes through, an NBA player is going through, and a Major League Baseball player is going through, and a, an NHL guy is going through, as far as away from the ice and, and you know, fighting confidence and in slumps and, 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 and struggling with this and personal life, is it overflowing? It, it, there's a lot more similarities to sport. We just see, we just see as fans the X's and O's. You know, the hit runs different than the give and go and so on. So, so I learned the X's and O's from, you know, basically Hall of Fame type players, to be honest with you, looking at it now, or learned more about that game. And then I just, I tried to entertain. The, the greatest piece of advice I ever got was don't overstate the obvious. And so I, I kind of brought, brought a fanboy slash, you know, understanding of what athletes go through. And then as I progressed, I learned the game, and, and it, just, it became what it was. It just, and I, I stopped doing it because I offered, it was offered. And I was still doing the Nuggets stuff, too, at that time. And, and, it's, and during football season, I'd do mostly home games. But so I would, there was games on Sundays where I, I did a 2 o'clock Bronco game and then drove across the street to McNichols and did, did a 7 o'clock Nuggets game that night. You so that was fun. Yeah, you say don't overstate the obvious. So this may fall right into that category. Did the Nuggets season end this year for all intents and purposes with the injury to Jamal Murray? You know, in hindsight, Grant, probably. But I, I will say this. If you go back to when that happened to when they finally lost, Nikola Jokic was brilliant. And, and he kept everybody involved Michael Porter Jr. you know stepped up and I think the last 18 19 games is averaging over 20 and and I mean he was brilliant he really was and, and deserved to be the MVP of nothing more maybe that last you know five weeks without without Jamal Murray but then all of a sudden what catches up with you which I'll be honest with you Grant I, I was surprised they beat Portland in that first round because no Jamal Murray but there, there was just enough, I guess, familiarity. You know, Portland had knocked him out of the playoffs two years ago. You just played him late in the year. There was the games were always intense, and so there was this focus when it when when that series ha- happened that wasn't there with Phoenix, which they hadn't seen since you know January. You know, all the guys, everybody loves CP3. And all of a sudden, you know, the guy that, you know, Michael Porter, who's young, you know, got a lesson in Portland because he started, his game started slipping in Portland, 
realize that playoff basketball is a hell of a lot different than regular season basketball. And those guys couldn't handle that, you know, for the long stretch. And I thought, to be honest with you, they, they, they look mentally tired. And, and you know, Grant, you, you, you can't win. You can't put, you can win a, you can win a playoff series physically tired. You ain't going to win a playoff series mentally tired. You and I both know Michael Malone. Uh, I, I still say that one of the biggest mistakes the Kings have made over the last several years was firing him. Were you surprised, though, when Michael said, my team quit after game three? You got to be careful. He's, I think Charles was right when he said that. Because I think everybody, and me included, and I've known Mike since he was 19, respect the hell out of him and think he's a good coach. But we also know, and you know as well as anybody, he, he's a fiery Irish dude sometimes. Yes, right? he, oh, Irish, no, no question. No doubt. No oh, yeah, question. That Irish comes out of, and, and I think that's good. And I think that that's okay to say and challenge within a locker room. But when you spread it, you know, and let's be honest, everything, everything now is worldwide. So I, I think that would, I, I bet if he, if you sat down and had a beer with him, he would sit there and say, I don't know why I did that. I was just, I was PO'd. The game is over. I shouldn't have said that. I, I bet he would, would say that. Yeah, I, 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 he said things touching that, but dude, the, the two, the two nastiest words that you can say to an NBA player, and I, I, once again, I think all sports are the same. So what I, w- I would think an NFL player or a baseball player, if you say you're soft or you quit. Yep. In my era, we fight, but I didn't. I didn't usually ever quit, and I, I wouldn't consider myself very soft. You said you're good friends with Mark Schlereth, I believe, on draft day or right around there, or subs, or, or right after. He he was the one that said that the Broncos were very very close to getting Aaron Rodgers. Do you feel that that is still a possibility? Do you feel that was ever close to happening? Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm in the process of starting my own little podcast thing and then COVID kind of busted it up and I got a buddy who's even closer to Mark than I am and, and I asked him he said no nah, he, he stands by it he he said he talks to somebody as close and he thinks that's legit and I think he still probably does I don't think there's a chance that's going to happen personally why um well a couple things one that's a whole lot of money that you're still going to eat and if, even if you eat it over a two-year period, that's still a lot of money to give somebody else. I don't think that Denver's got, other than maybe draft picks, and even then, if you get Aaron Rodgers, and instead of having the, what they have this year, the seventh pick in the draft, now you've got the 27th or 28th pick in the draft or lower, you know, is that worth a franchise quarterback? And and I'm sure you've, you've interviewed uh, Lee Steinberg before, one of the great you know, sure. agents, sports agents of all time. And, you know, at one time was known as the agent to the quarterbacks, right? We had him on one time. He says, teams don't move franchise quarterbacks. And if you think about it, I mean, how many times in our lifetime have we seen franchise quarterbacks just move? A couple like, of times. Not, not a lot. Use, not maybe. You've used Peyton Manning, but let's be honest, they had just drafted uh, uh, luck and they they weren't sure if Peyton Manning was ever going to be able to play again right or with that with that neck surgery Joe Montana was moved to Kansas City dude you had Steve Young that hey, hey Montana's getting older we still got so it wasn't like they, they didn't move those guys and have have you know look like Hall of Famers right behind them good so point I don't think it's gonna happen very good point final thing for you what is it about Denver, the love affair with the Broncos, where it doesn't matter what month it is, if you turn on sports talk radio in the Mile High City, chances are they're talking about the Broncos. Well, yeah, you got you got one of the stations in town that, that that's one of the dominant sports stations. They basically got all four of their time slots have uh, ex football players in there. That's all they do all year round. I I don't know. I I think. You know, and, and betting's really taken over, which I think has even helped it even more, to be honest with you. I think they were the first team to really come in here and threaten to win a championship. And even though 
The Avs were actually the first team to win a, a championship, a league championship. The Broncos had played for three of them before that. So I, I think, and, and they grew from, you know, the 60s of being this this AFC team, the AFL team that, that stinks and is getting beat up to all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're the underdogs. And so all the people my age, you know, that still live here and that were born and bred here, you know, were little kids when, when, when this when this team started. And so they pass it on to their kids. Their kids now have kids. You know, in some cases, their kids have kids. And it's just – I think it's a generational thing, Grant, that started in 1960. And and now 60 years later, you know what I'm saying? I just, I just think that's what people – no, and it's just it, it's truly bred in. Now we will see with all the people fleeing California and Texas and coming to Colorado of whether or not those that loyalty changes a little bit. But I mean, they're the show. They've been yep. the show, and 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 they're fun. I mean, the NFL is fun fun sport to follow. So we'll see. And let's be honest. I, I mean, for a long time, the Denver Nuggets are, have been in fifty some years in the NBA. And not once have played in the NBA Finals. Great point. Wow. Very good point. So, so you got to play for some championships, I think, before you get a hardcore following. Boy, that is spot on. Over 10 years playing in the NBA, great career at Arkansas, as we talked about. So many tremendous games behind the mic with both the Nuggets and the Broncos talk show, everything else. When you look back at your amazing career, and I really do think it's amazing, What's what was the favorite time? Wow. You know what? It might have happened two summers ago, the summer before or early fall and summer, I think it was, right before COVID hit. I got a letter and was told I was going to be ducted into the Kansas Sport Hall of Fame. And I, and I, you know, I'm in the Arkansas school and I'm in the state of Arkansas, but, but my home state where I grew up inducted me. And that was great. I mean, it was it was more awesome than I than I could explain. But there at my my tables when I'm when I'm there being in, introduced are my high school coach, my ninth grade or my eighth grade coach actually. We were undefeated, and, and he all, went on to coach a girls varsity and won like four state championships. A great coach. The guy from my neighborhood, Craig Knoll, who. Basically, he told me, he says, would you make it to the NBA? So you've been in the NBA before, the Knoll Basketball Association. <laughs> and, you know, he was there. My three or four high school teammates that won the state championship with me and my best friends and, all, and my kids and my, my dad and my brothers and sisters, they were all there too. But just to see, you know, these gray-haired, some balding, you know, some a little overweight, friends, family, and coaches, you know, were there, you realize I'm not here without every single one of them. And, and it just was like a, I don't know, it was a big reflective moment for me, to be honest with you. And, and listen, I, hey, and I tell everybody, my state, winning the state championship, to me, is every bit as important as winning an NBA championship with the Pistons. How about that? Wow. Wow. I mean, every guy... The, the, we had six, five, five, six or five, five seniors on that team that year that had played basketball together since the time they were nine years old. Wow. And here we were as 17 and 18 year olds, you know, all those years at the gym and playing on different rec teams and playing down at the park in the summer. And here we are winning a state championship in Kansas, which some likes to say the home of basketball, right? Sure, absolutely. Uh, pretty special. No question. Well, you're special, man. I've, uh, well, you know this. I mean, over the decades of seeing you and talking to you and just, uh, you know, hanging out on the radio and having great conversations, uh, it's great to get caught up. I really appreciate you coming on. I've really enjoyed this. Hey, anytime. You know that. Even if some guest does something stupid and, and doesn't show up, give me a holler. I'll come on at a moment's <laughs> notice. Let's get to some questions. Thanks to Crowd Ultra. Just go to crowdultra.com, sign up, and it takes about a minute. Maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. Josh wants to know, what do you miss about living in Sacramento? First and foremost, you know, I miss my two boys. Uh, they're doing great, but I, I miss them. 
my youngest lives in Chico. My uh, oldest lives in Sacramento. So that and, you know, again, I have a lot of friends. I lived there for 33 years. Uh, so the thing I miss the most, uh, the people, without question. Pat wants to know, do you think any NFL or NBA players will get cut for not getting the vaccine? No, they will not get cut. All right, Sam wants to know, are having injury-prone stars like Kyrie on your team worth the gamble? It's a great question. It's a great question because you're paying these players a ton of money. Uh, They do get hurt. Uh, I just don't like the way Kyrie goes about his job. I don't like how many games he misses. There are a lot of things I don't care about him. I don't like the way he uh, makes outlandish, outrageous comments. So you'd have to ask Brooklyn that. It's a very, very good question. Tony wants to know, what did you think about seeing or after seeing LeBron's first game in the NBA? Well, I was blessed to announce that game, and you knew that he was going to be great. Jerry Reynolds said during the telecast that he felt that, barring injury, we might be watching the greatest player in the history of the game when it's all said and done. And you know what? Jerry was really, really spot on. I don't know if I would put him ahead of Michael or who, but he's on the list. You know, he, he you're on the list. Alex. Can you explain how broadcasters get caught on hot mics? Yeah, I can explain it very easily. Broadcasters sometimes forget what can go wrong, will go wrong, meaning that when you are in front of a microphone, you're taught to always expect that the mic is hot. You cannot always just assume that the audio technician is going to turn your mic on and off when he or she is supposed to. So it's actually rather easy. And sometimes you are talking during a commercial break and you talk right up until the end of the break and the commercial ends early. There's a delay. So, you know, it's happened to me a couple of times, not where I said anything that I regretted, not where I ever uh, cursed or said something that I I wish I had not said, but yeah, it can happen. You just have to be very, very careful. Eric wants to know, am I surprised by New Orleans firing Stan Van Gundy after only one season? Love the podcast. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you listening. There's more to this story than meets the eye. I don't see any way in the world you would fire a coach like Stan Van Gundy after one year. Excuse me. Had to take a little sip there. Got a little uh, (coughs) cough there. But, Eric, I think there's going to be more to this story uh, that comes out in the near future. All right, let's get to some other questions. Joe wants to know, do you think Charles Barkley's recent cancel culture comments will get him in trouble? No. Number one. And number two, he doesn't care, nor should he care. He's Charles Barkley. He doesn't need his job. And everything that Charles said is 100% spot on. I agree with every single thing that he said. He's absolutely correct. Our damn society is so damn sensitive now about everything. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. The cancel culture in this country is an absolute travesty. It's a travesty. It's a shame. Nick wants to know, will we see a female NBA head coach in the near future? It depends on what you mean by near future. I do think it's going to happen. I believe that. Near future, It dep- you'd have to define near future for me. But I think it will happen. I really do. Nick wants to know, how would an NHL team fit in sack? Not, never going to happen, Nick. I think the fans, it would be great. But uh, first of all, from my understanding, Golden One Center was not built to accommodate hockey. And so it just, logistically, it's never going to happen. Tom wants to know, is Kevin Durant the best player in the playoffs right now? Probably. Certainly damn good. The other night in that pivotal game five, was he not? Tristan wants to know, do you have interest in Oscar De La Hoya's return to boxing? I don't know Oscar was making a return to boxing. So the answer to that question would be no. Justin says, did you see the hilarious San Jose Sharks Juneteenth tweet? Justin, I missed it. You'll have to enlighten me with it. I did not see that. Mike wants to know, have you seen how the NFL will be punishing unvaxxed players? Does this seem like workplace discrimination to you? No, I don't think it's discrimination. The word punish, I don't know if I would use the word punish. 
protocol, if you're vaccinated, basically life will be as normal. If you're not vaccinated, then you still have to go to mandatory testing every day. You still have to wear masks. You're not able to go home during the bye week. When you're out on the road, you can't go out to dinner. I mean, I don't know if that's called being punished. There are just different rules if you're vaccinated and when you're not vaccinated. And personally speaking, you know, if I'm a professional, first of all, I, I'm vaccinated. But if I'm a professional athlete, why would I not get vaccinated? Why would I want to go through that every day? Lucas wants to know, does the Mavs firing Donnie Nelson make sense to you? Absolutely does not make sense to me. Donnie Nelson was great at what he did. It makes no sense to me. Again, that, this is one of these things where there's more than meets the eye. Absolutely. Jake wants to know, do I think that Derek Carr would actually quit if he was traded? I don't. I don't think he would actually quit. Andrew said, did you see how Tatum and Mitchell lost millions from how all NBA selections are set up? Ridiculous. $33 million I read Jason Tatum missed. Absurd. Now, the players... Union agreed to this in the collective bargaining, but it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's absurd. Jesse wants to know, should Stan Van Gundy have been fired? Again, there's more behind the scenes than I know. There's more that meets the eye to this. I I can't answer that question. I really don't. Cameron wants to know, what do the Pelicans need to do to make the playoffs next season? Well, they have to have just continued growth with their young players. I just think it's very difficult to win in New Orleans. Uh, A lot of the players don't want to play there. A lot of the players look to get out of there. It's a very difficult place to build a successful franchise. It really is. Uh, Julian wants to know, what do I expect out of the Bears this season? A lot depends on whether Aaron Rodgers is playing in Green Bay or not. If not, the division is wide open. Now, I'm not so sure that Fields is going to be starting a quarterback. I don't see that necessarily. They have a very good defense. But again, if Rodgers is not in Green Bay, then all of a sudden the Bears have as good a chance as anybody, in my opinion. Kevin wants to know, would the Heat be a good landing spot for Lillard if he leaves Portland? Yes, it would. He'd be great in Miami. Absolutely. Would be great. Hey, thank you so much for Crowd Ultra and your questions. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. It's time for Rant. Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by the Home Theater Company. For your audio, video, and home theater needs, just go online, hometheatercompany.com. So let me get this straight. LeBron James warned the NBA that this would happen, that there would be injuries because they started the season too soon. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't the season postponed in the second week of March. And from that point forward, did the players not have off the rest of March, all of April, all of May, all of June, then practice at the end of July and had a very short regular season in August? And weren't there 22 of 30 teams participating, eight that were not? And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the NBA Finals start at the very end of September. And wasn't only two teams playing in the NBA Finals, that being the Lakers and the Miami Heat. So that means that the vast majority of teams had off all of September, or at least half of September, okay? And then they had off all of October and all of November. And then training camp started in December, And they started playing games on December 23rd. So LeBron James is telling me that the quote-unquote best athletes in the world were injured because having off most of September, all of October, and all of November is not enough for the human body. Well, if that's true, then why the hell are we sending our NBA players to participate in the Olympics every four years and this summer in Japan. How about that, LeBron? I haven't heard you complain about that before. Didn't hear you complaining when you played on Team USA. Didn't hear you complaining when your colleagues wanted to play in the NBA. Funny, 
I don't ever recall you complaining when a vast majority, I shouldn't say vast majority, but a lot of players play in the world competition over in Europe. Many of the European players play year-round. Haven't really heard you come down on those players. But, oh, LeBron James warned the NBA. Oh, how about that? I don't understand why LeBron James isn't the commissioner of the NBA. Really. I don't understand why he's not the president of the United States. I don't understand why he's not just, you know, in charge of everyone, all races, all ethnicities, all religions, all people in the country. He ought to just be in charge of everybody because he's got an opinion on everything. Explain to me, would you please, how the best conditioned athletes in the world, quote unquote, can have off that much time, start a season at the end of December, and now all of a sudden they're going to be injury prone. But it's okay to play in the Olympics. It's okay to play in Europe in the summer. All of that is okay. But, oh, no, LeBron James warned, warned the NBA that they were starting the season too long. But, again, LeBron seems to forget that it was only his team and one other that played in October. No other teams played in October. What a bunch of crap. What a bunch of nonsense. LeBron James, shut the hell up for once, would you please? And that's my rant for today. That's my podcast for today. Hey, do me a favor. If you listen particularly via Apple Podcasts, do me a favor and rate it, would you please? It would mean a lot to me. And don't forget to check out my video rants over on YouTube. And for you dads out there, happy Father's Day. I hope you have a fabulous day on Sunday. And thank you for everything that you do. And thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.